Welcome to This Podcast is Not for Profit. Our sector is full of big hearts, tiny budgets, and audacious goals. Join us as we explore the forces shaping the nonprofit sector, speak to experts and innovators, and share stories from the front lines of the fight to end hunger, poverty, and create more inclusive communities. As the pandemic drags on, many of us are feeling the effects on our mental health, financial stress, the uncertainty surrounding schools, disruption to our daily routines, and an overall feeling that we are not in control of our lives can cause serious mental and physical stress. At the United Way, we fund many different programs that support the mental health of youth, adult, newcomers, seniors, and those who have been the victims of sexual trauma, abuse, or have substance uh, use issues. Supporting the mental health and well-being of the community is an important pillar of what we do. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Melanie McGregor. Melanie is a health promotion and advancement specialist at the Canadian Mental Health Association's Halton branch. She's also a mental health first aid master trainer uh, from the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And she's an experienced United Way Halton uh, Halton Hamilton impact speaker, where she shares her story in the community and in workplaces to help support the work uh, that we do to sort of talk a little bit about the stigma around mental health. So today, tell us a little bit about your role with the CMHA and the impactful work that your organization does in Halton Region. Sure. Thanks so much, Mike, for for having me. We're always really grateful for the United Way support and happy to do what we can to help the uh, the community learn a little bit more about what they can do to, to improve their health and wellness. So um, my role at CMHA is I'm the Health Promotion and Advancement Specialist. So our health promotion program really helps people learn more about mental health and addictions, about things that they can do to care for themselves, things that they can do to support other people. So one of my roles is coordinating that program. So whether that's through some of the courses that we run or doing individual presentations for workplaces and groups or you know, features for a local paper, social media, whatever it may be. That's really my focus is to help people learn more about uh, just overall kind of health and wellness with the goal of ultimately reducing stigma. And then part of advancement as, as well is connecting with our community um, and getting our message out there, you know, fundraising and things like that. So that's my role within the organization. But as a broader organization, our mission is improving the well-being of our community through high quality mental health and addiction services. We support people in a number of ways, people who may need some support around some mental health needs, around some addiction needs. Um, so we'll meet with folks one-on-one to provide that kind of support to help them work on recovery goals. Uh, we have some specialized services in there. So we do some services with the, uh, the justice system. So if there's folks who have come in contact with the justice system and need some support around mental health and addictions, we're there for that. We have a 24-7 crisis line called COAST, and there's a mobile component to that as well. And we offer free call-in counseling in our community. We offer some peer support. So folks themselves are on a recovery journey can provide that kind of support to others and, and, you know, provide that kind of guidance and connection. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of different things that we do, but really our goal is to help people in the community just get the support that they need to improve their health and wellness. Yeah, no, it's 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 such important work. And I think if, if if maybe there is a bit of a COVID silver lining is that I think a lot of people are 
realizing how foundational that mental health is to their overall health and maybe sort of, I don't know, I don't know if addressing it is the right word, but at least being more cognizant of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Because our, you know, with many other companies and organizations, when the pandemic started, we really had to explore how are we going to be able to continue to support people. So we've we've delivered this virtually, but even in our call-in counseling service, which used to be free walk-in counseling, and now we're providing it by phone. The counselors are saying, you know, there's lots of people calling who have never called before. They said this is the first time that I'm reaching out for support for my mental health. So, you know, we really hope that that's something that people are considering as we're focusing on what are some of the physical safety things we have to do, you know, washing our hands and wearing masks. It's also really thinking about, okay, what are maybe my mental health needs or the mental health needs of the, the folks around me? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think again, you know, hopefully, for some for some people, it becomes something that they bring into their everyday lives afterwards. You know, I mean, I think a lot of us are used to thinking about, okay, how do I maintain my physical health, right? You exercise, you eat well, but the same goes for your mental health, right? And I think the disruption of the pandemic has really shown how some of those routines and those things that we do um, can really sort of, um, you know, how important they are. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if people are feeling impacts on their mental health from the pandemic, they're they're not alone because there's been no. research done by CMHA across the country that's showing the vast majority of people are saying that they feel like their mental health has declined since the start of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, you're an impact speaker for us here at the United Way, and you often actually share your personal story and mental health journey. Can you speak to that experience and how it inspired the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, I myself, so in addition to, you know, when I speak about CMHA, I can come at it as someone who works there, but also someone who has needed some of the types of services that we provide. So I myself live with a uh, mental illness, I have an anxiety disorder, and I believe it's something that I've lived with since I was probably a teenager. Not to get into details, but I'm much older than a teenager right now, so <laughs> this is something that that I've lived with for the majority of my life. But it was something that I didn't recognize and it was something that wasn't treated until it got to the point that I was, you know, struggling to to function at work and at home on a daily basis. So that happened, it was about eight years ago that I would say that things kind of hit the worst point. And it was because there are a lot of additional stressors happening in my life. You know, I'd had a, um, a job loss through a restructure and, you know, several other things that were going on. And so I think all that just came together. And and before that, I had probably, you know, just gotten really good at at coping without yeah. realizing that I was coping with it. But it was when it got to that point that I just, again, I struggled to leave the house. I struggled to go to work. I struggled to perform when I was at work. Um, and it was just that awareness that, okay, this is really having a major impact on me day to day. And it was when a, a, a coworker and a good friend had approached me started that conversation to say you know is is something up because you just you don't really seem like yourself you know what's going on and I had been experiencing major impacts on my mental health for months but it was that one conversation that really made me realize you know I need to do something differently I need to find some additional ways to cope and so that involved connecting with healthcare providers connecting with counselors and really putting a lot more attention on my mental health than I think I had before and Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it it worked out 
great. You know, I, I did take a leave from work for about six weeks. And that was really, I think, the best thing that I've ever done for my mental health, because it was a chance for me to build some coping strategies. And now, I mean, eight years out, I'm at a great spot in my recovery. I mean, sure, I have days, bad days, days where I feel additionally anxious, but everybody is going to have that. So I find I'm able to manage through those a lot better. And so when I look at my professional role, I found that, you know, really acknowledging that lived experience and sharing it has really made me a lot more passionate about what I do. Because when I'm training people on this is how you can support someone that's maybe experiencing some declining mental health, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm not teaching them to support sort of random unknown people that are very different from you and me. I'm teaching them to support me. Because yeah. any of us could struggle with our mental health at, at any point. So I feel like really my experience has just made me more aware of what all of us need to do to care for our mental health day to day. But I'm, I'm really thankful to be where I'm at in terms of my health and wellness. Yeah, and, it's, and I think it's so important, right, because there is still so much stigma associated with it. And it's just so, you know, so strange that we still think about some of these mental health issues, whether they're anxiety, depression, whatever, you know, we still think of them as, as sort of almost categorically different than like physical health issues, right? You would never sort of tell someone who's having a heart attack to sort of, you know, just suck it up and figure out, figure it out themselves. But but I think a lot of us internalize that kind of idea when it comes to mental health issues that we should just sort of like grin and bear it and that we just have to kind of, you know, figure it out and we don't take it as seriously as we really should. And so sharing that, you know, those personal stories, I think, really helps connect some of those things and to normalize it a little bit. Yeah, because I think sometimes people have this idea and sometimes that's where that some of that stigma comes from is to think that, okay, someone who struggles with their mental health, they're somehow, you know, very different than people who don't struggle with their mental health, or it's only this type of person, but all of us have mental health, and any of us can struggle at any time, and we probably have, which is, I think, what we're hearing more about the pandemic, is that, okay, people that maybe were able to cope pretty well with the stressors in their life, with the additional stressors of the pandemic, now they're starting to realize that it's having a much bigger impact on them. So yeah, I would absolutely agree with you that that stigma can very easily be internalized. And so if someone's thinking I need help, they're like, oh, but if I reach out, does that mean that I'm weak? Does that mean that I'm less intelligent? Does that mean that I'm not a strong person? And absolutely not. None of those things are true, but that stigma can can have such a big impact. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad you put it that way. And, and and maybe let's switch into thinking a little bit about some of the impacts of the pandemic. Because we know, you know, I think, especially, you know, for, for people like us who do this work, we know that mental health is so critical to our overall well-being and really is foundational to kind of the social determinants of health, right? Things like food security, housing, income, employment, race, all that. And advocates such as yourselves in CMHA have long been working towards protecting and strengthening Canadians' mental resilience and calling for more funding to support that work, especially for the most marginalized community members. I think this year with the impact of COVID-19 pandemic, mental health has been sort of, pardon the pun, top of mind for all of us. Um, And many experts in Canada and globally have been warning of uh, of an impeding mental health crisis or a shadow pandemic. 
And as the months press on, the data seems to be revealing the state of mental health in Canada. And some of the results are, you know, that they were predicting are pretty alarming. Um, I think that I remember reading CMHA's report back in December 2020, where you guys did a national survey that showed that our mental health is eroding and that there are growing levels of despair, suicidal thoughts and hope, hopelessness. And I actually want to share some of the statistics because I remember when I saw them at first, I was just floored like i knew that this was the case but the the actual stats were really quite shocking and it said that it says that 71% of canadians indicate that they are worried about a second wave of the pandemic and 58% are worried about a loved one or family member dying only 21% are feeling hopeful 40% of canadians say their mental health has deteriorated since march and with the decline more pronounced in those who are unemployed so that's 61% those with pre-existing mental health conditions also 61% younger people aged 18 to 24 60% and indigenous people at 54% uh and those that identified as LB- lgbtq2+ uh, was at 54% and around 50% for those with uh disabilities So, you know, we've seen this sharp increase. We've also seen a sharp increase in suicidality this um, this fall. So I think it's one in 10 Canadians experiencing recent thoughts or feelings of suicide, which is up from 6% in the spring and 2.5% in the pre-pandemic data. And, you know, I know that CMHA also reports increased substance use and long waits uh, to access services. So, you know, I know there's no obviously no silver bullet, but what are some of the changes that you've noticed with clients specifically or trends more generally over the past year as the pandemic has unfolded? Have you seen these numbers play out play out in this in in how your services are being um um accessed or uh, I'm just wondering if you could speak generally about about some of these alarming statistics. Yeah, like we've seen, I know I mentioned earlier about our call-in counseling that mm-hmm are reaching out that haven't reached out before and it's um, our data from the fall showed that about 15% of people who were reaching out said that they were reaching out specifically due to the impacts of the pandemic on their mental health and those numbers in our calling counseling are going up which that's good for us to know that yes people are reaching out to get that support but also that more people are probably feeling those impacts so In talking to people, people are talking about so many different things around what are they experiencing, what are they feeling, and um, we've heard so many things around, you know, having kids home, doing schooling from home, you know, how do I manage trying to do my job online and trying to support my kids, or as you mentioned, financial concerns if people have left jobs, or even people not able to do the things that are really important for them for their self-care. So lots of people were saying, you know, going to the gym was their self-care. That's what they did to care for their mind and body. Well, that's not been possible with some of the the impacts of the pandemic. So people are sometimes finding it a struggle to, okay, my go-to coping strategies aren't available or aren't working for me with this increased stress level. And so what is it that that I can really do to to cope? I find more and more people are sharing about just feeling like they have a higher level of stress than they've ever had because stress is something that we're all going to experience day to day but if we experience kind of okay today I experienced this one stressor of whatever it may be and I got through that you know I managed it and then oh you know in that tomorrow I'll, I'll have different sources of stress 
But with the pandemic, we've had the cumulative effect of that stress because this has been going on way longer probably than a lot of people would have expected that it would. So I feel like people are talking about stressors in a whole number of different parts of their lives. And that's what really tap our coping abilities that if I was just dealing with this one thing, I could probably manage, but it's all the different worries, all the different concerns, all the different stressors that are really having an impact. So we're hearing a whole lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that idea of these sort of, I mean, I'm hopeful that maybe this provides a little bit of empathy for people who sort of realize, you know, again, that the way that you describe it, I think is powerful, that kind of cumulative effect, right? That it's sort of weighing down on you. And maybe you did have coping mechanisms. And, and I think normalizing that, like everybody has ways of dealing with stress, right? And everybody has ways of sort of balancing out and sort of, you know, supporting positive mental health. And I think what a lot of people maybe for the first time are sort of we're, we've been bombarded by so many of these stressors from so many different places for so long, and we don't know when it's going to end, right? So I think for a lot of people, they're experiencing what, what um, you know, they're experiencing that kind of cumulative effect and don't know how to deal with it. I think that that's where some of that hopelessness comes from, too, because there's there's been so much uncertainty and there's been so much change around how we do our jobs or, schooling yeah. or you know, any number of things. Um, but one thing that we've always tried to, excuse me, encourage people throughout the pandemic is, you know, when you look at yourself, when you look at people around you, understand that the pandemic is, effect is affecting everybody, but it's not affecting everybody in the same way. That's so right. we may see people and we think, wow, they're really stressed. Like that doesn't seem, you know, quote unquote normal to me. You know, I'm not expecting that they would be that stressed because I'm not that stressed. But we don't know what other people have been through. Um, and I know you talked about there's, you know, particular groups of people who may be feeling that bigger impact, but we don't know what people have been through in the past. We don't know if this is reminding them of mm. other difficult things that they might have experienced. We don't know what other stressors they're dealing with in their life that the pandemic is just compounding. So everybody is going to deal with it in a slightly different way. And some people I know have, you know, people in my life have approached me and said, well, you know, you live with an anxiety related disorder, like has this pan pandemic really negatively impacted your mental health? And for me, it really hasn't. I can't say that I've noticed any noticeable increase in my in my anxiety level. So we don't want to make assumptions either way. Yeah. It's around connecting with individuals and hearing what is this experience like for you, because it is going to impact everybody differently. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I wonder if you could speak because like, <clears throat> one of the things that we often hear, um, and that we are really sort of interested in uh, sort of understanding more at the United Way is, is, is the impacts of isolation and loneliness on physical health. And we know that, you know, when compared to many things like, you know, cigarettes or things or obesity, that actually loneliness and isolation can be as impactful or, or more. I saw a statistic where it was equivalent to something like 15 cigarettes a day, right, for someone who is, who is socially isolated. How do these factors influence our mental state as more and more Canadians find themselves like isolated and just profoundly lonely and disconnected from their communities? Mm. Now, our, our physical health, when we look at the overall definition of health from the World Health Organization, mm -hmm. it includes mental, social and yep. physical well-being. Our health is not just about our physical health and our mental mm -hmm. health and our physical health together. 
So if we take someone, you know, who has been isolated or they're not um, being able to access things that they would like to access for their self-care, whether that was a visit from friends or just connections, you know, going out for coffee or, you know, meeting friends, wherever it may be. If that's having an impact on their mental health, if they're feeling a little bit more discouraged, if they're feeling lower, if their energy is lower, if they're not as motivated, that can definitely have an impact on their physical health as well. So whether that's, uh, you know, increasing stress hormones, maybe they are not motivated to exercise or motivated to eat healthy. So it is really, it can compound. So what people are feeling physically can compound what they're feeling mentally and vice versa. So um, that's something as well that we've really tried to encourage people is that there's been a real focus on, you know, what we call social distancing. But we want to remind people that it's physical distancing. We want to, as much as possible, try to keep up that socialization in safe ways. So whether that's a phone call, a video call, and and no, I know that that's not the same. It's yeah. not the same as being able to hug, to hug a friend or a family member or go out and see a movie together or whatever you would usually do. But it's really prioritizing those kinds of things and, and making the time for it and also reaching out to people in our lives that we think may be isolated or just reaching out to say, hi, how you doing? You know, what, what do you need? You know, can we have a chat or whatever it is? But isolation, I think that's, um, it's a great point that you made that it can have as big an impact as some of the other things that we already recognize as not being great for our mental health, but it, it's been really underestimated, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. I remember when I first came across some of that research, I was just, it blew me away that that something like that, you know, is is so foundational, right? Like in, in terms, and it makes sense. I mean, humans are social creatures, right? And I think for a lot of us, uh, you know, as you said, it's, you know, I think we're realizing how important that is um, to our overall mental health. And maybe have, we have to be a little bit more intentional about that, about reaching out, because a lot of those sort of like, I know for myself, you know, just the the kind of, um, you know, going into work and just sort of just just being able to see people and to sort of be able to, you know, just small conversations, like everything seems like you have to be intentional, you have to schedule it now. And and yeah. that in itself has a toll. And, and, you know, and I and I think we sort of we have to make up for the fact that we don't have a lot of those small connections um, that we that we that we used to in our day to day, you know, pre pandemic. Yeah, it's that one hour that's scheduled for the Zoom meeting, you know, or whatever it is. We don't get those quick chats in the hallway like, hey, how you doing? How was your weekend kind of thing? But I like how you said about being intentional because I think back, it seems so long ago, but back last spring, you know, when the pandemic first started, I felt like everyone kind of saw like video calls and all the things that they were doing. It was kind of exciting because it was a novelty. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm doing having my birthday cake with people over Zoom or whatever it may be. But I feel like as the pandemic has worn on, maybe those things have fallen a little bit from the the importance list because it's, you know, probably something that most of us do pretty regularly is going on Zoom calls and things like that. But there's a difference between going on a Zoom call to have a work meeting and going on a Zoom call to chat with a friend or to do something positive. Um, I know at CMHA, we've set a meeting once a week that's called a point click connect. 
And so it's just kind of an after work meeting where people can sign on to do, do uh, to Zoom. And sometimes we'll do fun activities. Sometimes we just chat, but it's really refreshing. And I find people say, you know, I leave that meeting, that meeting feeling a little bit lighter because it's something that we used to do pre-pandemic was just chit chat with people or get together. So it's building those things in however we're able to. Yeah, I know with my team, we ha we have a, a morning, um, we call it our huddle. Um, and, uh, and, and we just, most of it has nothing to do with work. Like, right. We're yeah. we, we, we yeah. sit there talking about dogs, what we did the night before, like things, you know, eventually we'll turn to, you know, sort of level setting for the day, but, uh, you know, sometimes we don't. And, and mm -hmm. I have to say that that's a, you know, a really important way to sort of replicate those kind of hallway run-ins and it, it's really done quite good for our, you know, that feeling of like still being part of a of a workplace part of a culture part of a group a team that otherwise i think is very easy to sort of fall apart and we have you know one of the things that we're really i think kind of intentional about um as an organization is that we all keep our videos on right when we're chatting um and i think that that in itself has a huge has a huge sort of um you know make sure that you're focused in on there you're not working on other sort of emails or something else and it really makes it, it at least gives you that sense of connection Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have that time that you're that you're dedicating. And mm -hmm. even for some people connecting over video, we may say, well, for some people, it's not really the same. But I know, say, in our calling counseling program, we've had people who have used that service and say that having it available over the phone worked better for them than having it available in person for any number of reasons. For some people, it was transportation concerns. So they live somewhere where they couldn't get to a physical location for counseling but they can call in or, uh, you know, one person said that I really liked it because she said that when she was talking to the counselor, she would go for the drive. She said, I felt like I was able to open up a little bit better if I kind of had that distracting. Of course she was on hands free. <laughs> I want to emphasize that, but you know, for a lot of people doing things virtually maybe makes it a little bit easier for them, yeah. but it's just, again, determining what is this person really needing? You know, what's, what's going to work for them. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. I was actually the next question that I was going to ask you is around that because like you know, um, I mean, our regular sort of funding funds your your walk-in counseling, which which obviously has had to change, uh, and the health promotion and education. And then um, you know, over the last few months, we've um, you know through the emergency community relief fund, we've uh, uh, funded by the federal government, we've been able to support a couple of other sort of things. So I'm wondering if you could actually talk a little bit about the pivots your organization has had to do to continue to support the community to continue to support all of these new people that are coming in. You know, I, I'm assuming a lot of this programming has moved virtual. And you mentioned here that for some clients, this has actually been a benefit. Um, but I'm wondering if you could talk, if you could dig into that a little bit more. Is it, you know, is it a, a benefit for, for, for clients? Is it a barrier? Um, what about things like limited access to devices or internet? How do you overcome some of these things? Um, and how have you as an organization had to sort of pivot in that way? Yeah, so we found, again, with the call-in counseling, we were able to very quickly pivot that from a walk-in service to a call-in service. So how it works is that folks call the call-in counseling number and they'll receive a call back from a counselor uh, within 24 hours. So for some people, you know, we had our, our walk-in counseling was four days a week in given location. So let's say Milton counseling, if someone lived in Milton and didn't have transportation, then they could get counseling on Monday. So if they realized Tuesday that they wanted to reach out for this counseling, 
the maximum weight, like the maximum weight that anyone would have is seven days, which when we look at the mental health and addiction system is long. Not bad. But now some people, okay, if they can get a call back within 24 hours, that's making the service even quicker for them. Yeah. With some of our other support services, our staff, they've been supporting clients uh, virtually, you know, through Zoom calls for the Ontario telemedicine network uh, or the phone, um, however it may be. So we've been looking at, that's something that we've been doing, actually, the surveying folks who attended the virtual service to find out, okay, what really worked for you? Did you find this helpful? Were there certain groups of people that we were more likely to to reach through a virtual service? And so I would say, you know, one thing that that surprised me, we're still running the the final numbers, but actually I thought that my expectation was that people would think that virtual wasn't that great, but actually as like a lot of people said, you know what, this actually works better for me. I think mm. that it was as effective as it was in person. There's always going to be people who prefer the in-person, yes. but the definitely, yeah, it does has it have its place there. But one, um, I know you mentioned the emergency funding. There's one fabulous program that we've been running for a little while, a couple of few years at our branch, but with the emergency funding, it helped us to expand it. Um, and it's a great group called Coping Skills for Change. And it's a nine-week group uh, program where people talk about how to cope with emotions, how to communicate better. Um, you know, it's based on a dialectical behavior therapy approach, which is a certain kind of approach that some sites use in mental health support. But it basically is exactly what the title says. It's around building coping, coping skills to make positive changes in someone's life. Hmm. And so we were able to expand this program and make it more available to the wider community. And I know our fall groups, we advertise them. They filled up very, very quickly. So it's always good to have these programs available to help people cope. But we really knew that at this time, people were really needing those accessible supports, um, you know, free programs, programs that would help them really build those coping strategies. And so that was certainly something that was very helpful. And those groups as well were done virtually. They used to be done in person, but we switched those to, to virtually. And another thing that we did through funding from um, the United Wave was we expanded our peer support. So we have three awesome peer mentors at our organization who, again, are people themselves who um, have lived experience with mental health and addiction concerns. So um, they provide some great groups. And so we've been able to expand those during this time of meditation, um, like developing a wellness toolbox, um, you know, those kinds of things. Just they, they have a, a great program called Mission Possible as well. Or it's just, again, people building those coping strategies thanks to that United Way funding, we are able to even expand the service that we were providing at a time when more and more people are needing it. So um, we know, you know that we're uh, hopefully sooner rather than later we'll be back in person, but for now we feel like we're still able to support support our community in the way that they need. That's amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering sort of um, sort of two two final questions. One is, you know, what are some of the actions that folks can take to support their mental well-being? Now, you know, we're looking at what's gonna sh that's shaping up to be another challenging year, right? 2020 might be behind us, but, you know, 2021 isn't looking much better. And we're certainly yes. all feeling the, you know, sort of the co COVID fatigue. You know, I know personally myself, uh, you know, especially with the kids now going, you know, coming 
and and having to 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 uh, learn from home, you know, this is actually more challenging now than than you know I would say 2020 was. So, what are some of the actions people can take to to support their mental well being? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I think it's a question for folks to really look at. First of all, like a good place to start is what are my usual coping strategies? Mm-hmm. What has worked for me in the past? Can I use those now? Um, because sometimes we get so used to using those coping strategies that we may not really realize that they are coping strategies. You know, yeah. it's just something that becomes a regular part of our day. So I think really thinking very intentionally about what are the coping strategies that I can use. Um, another tip is, I think, to really make self-care a priority. And yeah. we say that all the time. You know, always, always talking about self-care and how it is but um, I know an analogy that we use a lot is when you think about when you're on the airplane and they give you the speech about if the oxygen mask drops down always make sure that you put your own mask on before you assist somebody so that's a reminder that our health needs to be a priority if we're going to be there for our families for workplaces for whatever it may be so I would suggest to people double down on your self-care whatever hmm. it is if it's getting a good night's sleep consider going to bed a little bit earlier. Um, mm-hmm. If it's getting outside for exercise, you know, you like a 20 minute walk every day. Why don't you go for maybe a little bit longer? So I think it's prioritizing that again, very intentionally, make sure that you're making time for it during the day. Um, I think as well, focusing on things that you can control because mm-hmm. I hear so much, so much of people's stress is, oh, well, this person's doing this and they shouldn't be doing this or everyone is doing this and they should, you know, really focused on what's going on. But as we've learned over these past 10 months, there's a whole lot of things happening in the world that we don't have any control over. So I think it's recognizing what can you control? So rather than focusing on what other people are doing, what they should or shouldn't be doing, it's what can I do at this time for myself? Um, So whether that's, you know, part of it is making sure that we're following all the public health guidelines. So hopefully that helps us feel a little bit um, more secure is we can control how we connect with people as well. Um, Also, I think that, well, it's great. We all really want to be informed uh, about what's going on with the pandemic. I would really encourage people to think about media limits, because Mm. if hear a lot about the cases are going up and this is happening and this, you know, there's a lot of really hard news, you know, bad, difficult things going on in the world right now. So I'd say just be mindful of your exposure to the media. You know, you want to make sure that you're being informed. But if you find yourself feeling overwhelmed, feeling negative, really kind of think of drawing that line and maybe taking a little bit of a a break of that uh, break from that kind of news. Um, we talked a bit about maintaining connection with others. Um, I would definitely uh, suggest that. And even establishing some routines. Because, you know, when I think back to a year ago, yeah, I, I had a pretty solid daily routine about when I got up and when I drove to work and this and that and how everything happened. And with all the changes, some of those routines have definitely gone out the window. But I think it's important to look at, okay, are there routines that would help me or say help my family um, feel a little bit more connected or help us recognize something that's in control? Even if it's just, you know, setting the routine of sitting down for dinner together every night or Mm -hmm. whatever you think 
be maybe helpful. And I think too, just being reasonable and, you know, be gentle with yourselves, be gentle with other people. Um, I mean, nobody has lived through a pandemic before. And so we are all doing the best that we can. So I think, sure, we may focus on days when, wow, I wasn't my best self today, or, you know, I wasn't fully present. That's okay. It's okay. You are doing the best you can and recognize that your mood and your motivation and others' moods and motivation may be different. And, you know, that's, that's okay. Everyone is doing the best they can during this time. Um, and I think sort of the one of the big words I know that we've heard, and you've used the word a couple times as well, is that word pivot. We've heard that so much about how have services pivoted, how have people pivoted. And I think that's something that we have to be prepared to do is prepare to be flexible because it's challenging when we feel like we can't do the things that we want to do. We're not feeling the way that we want to feel, but it's just about being flexible and understanding that changes are going to come. But chances are over the past 10 months, we've built up some really great resiliency. We found ways to cope with stress and cope with new demands. And just think about what has worked for you so far and continue to do some of those things. So I know that's a whole lot of ideas, but yeah, I think there's a, you know, a lot of things to keep in mind, but it's going to be very different for everyone. So just, you know, yourself best and really reflect on what's, what's working for you. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really good advice. And I think, you know, to me, one of the things that sort of comes out of that is that, you know, while we do need to be flexible, I, I like the word pivot because it suggests, you know, one leg staying in the same position and then the other sort of moving, right? So I think about those kind of routines that you're talking about, about sort of making sure there's still a feeling of structure, of control, while at the same time not being so inflexible that you can't, you know, move with the changing conditions. Mm. And I think, too, especially with, you know, more and more people working from home, I think one thing that's important, too, is to really think about boundaries that are there, because um, I know I I work from home fairly regularly, even before the pandemic. But I know folks I've talked to that are starting to work from home are saying, okay, it used to be that when I drove home from work, that was kind of my indicator. Like, okay, work is done now. Now you can have your personal time. But when we're working in our homes, Sometimes that's a little bit more challenging to mark that difference. So um, I would just encourage people to really think about their boundaries and make sure that you really protect that personal time because that self-care is really, really important. That's what's, again, going to help you have that wellness, take care of yourself so that you will be able to, to give back in the other areas of your life. But I know that working from home has been uh, has been a big challenge for folks, but just maintaining those yeah, well, it's not like, you know, it's not like it was working from home that it was foisted upon us, right? It's not like we had time to adjust, to get set up. How many of us, you know, had to hobble together some computer devices in a kitchen or, you know, try to figure out, oh, God, how am I going to do that? You know, I, I, I might have my home office, but now my wife needs one and my kids have to work on their, you know, so it's just like all of a sudden trying to figure out all of those things. It's not like it was this well thought out planned piece. It was just sort of done, but you know, we were doing it as we adjusted very quickly. Exactly. So where I know one thing at CMHA, I mentioned that part of my role is teaching, uh, teaching Mm -hmm. some courses. And so for several years, we've been teaching a course called mental health, which is two days that helps people learn how to recognize when people may be struggling with their mental health and how to provide support. And teaching that course is absolutely one of the favorite things that I do in my job. 
well, you know, we're not able to do two-day in-person courses anymore. Yeah. And I really miss that. I miss seeing people in person. I miss, you know, kind of having those chit-chats and engaging with all the awesome people that would come up to take the courses. But now, uh, in February and March, we're starting to offer that course virtually. So, at least that's exciting that, okay, I'm not able to be there for those two days the way I really liked, but it's still, it's a pivot. I'm still able to connect with people and talk about mental health and help them learn more. It's just, it's in a slightly different way. And that's, you know, what I'm trying to do is focus on the positive. So it's not that, you know, yeah, I can't see people in person, but great. I get to see all these faces on the screen and deliver some really important, important information. So it's kind of that adopting that mindset whenever we can. Absolutely. Sage advice. Um, and just to end, so I, I often ask this sort of same question to a lot of um, to a lot of, of my guests. And it's sort of, you know, if you had a magic wand or unlimited budget and you were able to sort of pick something to solve, you know, um, to solve either something that you currently work on in your professional life or personal life, what would that be? Like, what would be that sort of magic wand that you would wave and sort of say this, this is the thing that needs to be sort of uh, understood or addressed, or this is what I would do? Wow, that's a big question. There's so many Mm. things that come to mind. But I think just thinking with our, you know, our lens at CMHA and kind of my own personal personal experience, I would love to see not just mental health supports, but really any kind of supports. Mm. What we find um, with mental health and addictions, I'm sure it's different in other, or it's the same in other areas, is that you often don't really know where to get the support until you need it. So it's all of a sudden I'm struggling with my mental health and now I need to navigate the system. I need to make connections. I need to, whatever it may be. So I would love it if everybody knew what their supports were, um, Mm. if they needed it or if other people needed it. And I would love there to not be barriers for service. So whether that is, um, you know, cost barriers, uh, that's one benefit that we focus on with our call-in counseling is that it's free. Cost is a big barrier for a lot of folks when it comes to supports. Wait times can be another barrier as well. So someone needs some kind of support and, you know, there's a wait list of weeks or even months that can be really stressful as well. Um, so I would really like there to be, you know, more equity. I know that's a really big ask, but uh, I would really, want. <laughs> I know I would love anyone to be able to access whatever support they needed it when they needed it, where they needed it, without having to think about those barriers and to know where to go for those services. So I just think often that's part of the challenge is that we have amazing services in their community, but it's helping people know what's available and how to access it and getting that access that is that is sometimes the challenge. So I guess that's my my big ask for sure for the magic wand. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a great one. I mean, it's it's um, really timely too. Yesterday, we actually just had a a workshop uh, around behavioral insights where we talked about about the importance of friction costs, and that's just sort of another way of putting exactly what you were dealing with. That like when when especially when people are are uh, stressed, that any friction, um, any sort of any barriers that they might have, whether it's you know, the, the, the cost of the service, whether it's how complicated it is to access it, whether it's transportation, whatever it is, 
really add up disproportionately and can stop people from reaching out so that that I really love that message that that simplicity and that access that it really matters because especially when you're stressed when you're going through some sort of crisis that's the worst time to also have to figure out how to access a complicated system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, you know, at the best of times, there's a lot of different things to consider. But if you consider the additional stress that can come from any number of needs that folks may have, that just makes it even more, even more challenging. And that's, you know, that's difficult to go through. Like I consider in my own journey, how fortunate I was that I had access to a healthcare provider, that I had transportation to get to the appointments, you know, that I had access to the treatments that were helpful for me. And I know that that's not the case for everybody. But when I reflect on my own journey and where I'm at right now and, you know, where my wellness is at compared to what it was at before I got support, I I would love for everybody to have that same growth and that same recovery and that same positive experience that I have. So that's where the magic wand comes in, I guess. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights. It's been really sort of, um, I think, um, helpful for me to sort of understand some of these things. And I hope our listeners uh, enjoy some of um, some of some of these insights. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Let's continue to bring the unignorable issues affecting our community to the forefront. I would like to thank all of our guests and dedicated listeners. This podcast was brought to you by United Way, Halton and Hamilton. Stay social with us and keep the conversation going by following us at United Way HH on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and United Way, Halton and Hamilton on LinkedIn and YouTube.